0: Coming up on today's show, it is the first show in February, so we'll be kicking off Pensacon Month here on the podcast, and I'll be chatting with artist and upcoming Pensacon guest, Christopher Burdett. But first, you'll be hearing my predictions for the 92nd Academy Awards, which is happening this upcoming Sunday. But before we officially get started, I did want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. For those who didn't watch the episode on Facebook Live, I tried a new setup using my mixer instead of my normal USB microphone. And the audio quality was not that great, so I do apologize for that. I have cleaned it up as best I can. It'll be something that, you know, I'll have to deal with for this week, but for upcoming live shows, I hope to continue to use the mixer, but I will be doing more tests, and the audio issues will be fixed. So again, I do apologize for that, uh, but that will be fixed for future upcoming shows. So as I said, on the back half of the show, you'll be hearing my interview with Christopher Burdett, But first, you'll hear my Oscars predictions. All that coming up on this week's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, which starts right now. it is oscars week so i'll be chatting about the 92nd academy awards coming up this upcoming sunday welcome everyone to the derek diamond experience podcast and for those who are watching the video version you can see i've dressed up for the occasion i decided you know with the video versions i kind of want to be a little more loose and inject a little bit more personality instead of just you know straight up giving information because with the interviews, I try and be a little bit more professional, if you will. Like, I still like to have fun with the interviews, but I'll act very direct and to the point sometimes. But with these shows, you know, whether it's me by myself or if I bring a friend on to review an episode of a TV show or a movie, I want it to be a little bit more relaxed. And I think that's why people enjoy podcasts because they're different than your traditional interview show because it's more casual you know you feel like you're listening into a conversation so let's see uh we've got uh let's see luke thompson and my mother donna diamond is watching so thank you guys for tuning in so for the first half of the show this week i'm going to be discussing the the oscars you know I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I think it might have been during my uh, Top Movies of 2019 show. I feel a little bit more invested in the Oscars this year, and I think it's a combination of two things. One, I think it's just because I've watched so many more movies. But after making The Parker Syndrome, I decided to watch films as more of a, you know, still getting the enjoyment out of them because that's why I want to make movies is because I enjoy them. But at the same time, study them and do research in a way to make my next project and upcoming projects after that even better. And it's a combination of watching older movies that I haven't had the chance to see yet and also newer movies. And, you know, I have a um, I think it's the AMC A-list subscription that I pay every month. So I figure why not get the most out of it? So I saw quite a few movies this year. I think I saw close to 30 and there's still some that I haven't got a chance to see yet and I'll preface it and I know this this film especially has been nominated for quite a few awards and it's unfortunate that I haven't seen it yet, but I haven't had a chance to watch Parasite yet. A lot of people say it's their favorite movie of the year. It's been nominated for quite a bit of stuff. I know it has a I think a 99% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is nuts. And I haven't had a chance to see Smart yet. I don't think that's been nominated for anything, but... Um, oh, and I haven't had a chance to see uh, Little Women yet. And I know that was um, the subject of quite a bit of... I don't know if controversy is too strong, but something along the lines of... A lot of people were not happy that Greta Gerwig was not nominated for uh, Best Director. Which, when we get to that, so... This is how the Oscar portion is going to go. I'm not going to give predictions for every single award. I am just I picked out 10 that I'm going to do because unfortunately there's a lot of these movies that I haven't had a chance to see yet, but I've gotten to see a, a good amount of them. So uh, I guess what we'll do is we'll just dive right in. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to list the award, the nominations, and then I'm going to list what I would like to win. And then what I think will win, because at times that's going to be very different. So I do want to start off by saying, um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give a prediction, but I, I hope that John Williams gets best original score for the rise of Skywalker one, because John Williams is to me, the greatest composer of film that's ever lived. And there's some great people out right now, Hans Zimmer, Michael Giacchino, But John Williams is so iconic between Star Wars, Jaws, Harry Potter. So many other, you know, so many other films have his name attached to them. And it adds that little bit of extra credibility. When you see John Williams attached to a film, it gives it that little bit of a legitimacy. So I really hope that he wins because he's come out and said that it's going to be the last Star Wars film that he ever scores. So, I hope he goes out with a win. Uh, just some of the other nominations for that are Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, and The Rise of Skywalker. I'm going to give a prediction that I think that John Williams will win it. Um, I just, I, that's the one that I'm really hoping happens. Because I, I love John Williams, and if, if it were up to me, he would absolutely get it. But we'll have to see what happens. Uh, We'll start off, I guess, with my official predictions. We'll go with uh, cinematography, and if I butcher some of these names, I I do apologize. Uh, For cinematography, we have The Irishman, which was Rodrigo Prieto, Joker, Lawrence Cher, The Lighthouse, Jareen Blasch; 1917 Roger Deakins, and Robert Richardson from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. My, what I would like to win, just because of the sheer energy and just insaneness for pulling this off, I would give it to 1917. You know, watching the -the behind-the-scenes footage with um, Schofield running out of the bunker through the open field to the other side of the bunker where he needs to go, watching the -the behind-the-scenes sequence of that with You know, the camera coming backwards on a crane and then two guys detaching the camera and running backwards with it and then putting it on a truck. And the truck keeps, you know, carrying the camera while all these extras are just, you know, running like crazy. When you watch stuff like that, and yes, there are are cuts that had to have happened in the movie, but the sheer energy and what it took to pull that off to me is an automatic win for 1917 and these other movies, you know, I I have seen the other four that are nominated and they all look great. But to me, 1917 just really stands out when it comes to cinematography. So I am hoping that 1917 wins and I think that 1917 will take it. Next, we have best original screenplay. Uh, Ryan Johnson, who wrote Knives Out, noah baumbach marriage story sam mendez and christy wilson carlens for uh, 1917 quentin tarantino once upon a time in hollywood and we'll say parasite i'm not even going to attempt to try and pronounce their names uh, just because that would be disrespectful um the bias in me would like knives out to win Because I like Ryan Johnson as a filmmaker, and I also like him as a human being. I I can't remember if I've told this story or not, but back when I went to Star Wars Celebration in 2017, this is when they're going to unveil the first trailer for The Last Jedi. I camped out in the Orlando Convention Center, slept on, well, didn't really sleep, but attempted to sleep on a concrete floor. And Ryan Johnson came in. Uh, to the convention center, and he talked to and shook everyone's hand all night, and I thought that was great. Now, I have a selfie with him that I think I posted on the podcast page uh, back when that happened, so uh, love Ryan Johnson. I I won't get into the whole last shit, I think, because that's a discussion for another podcast, which you can actually go back and listen to the Star Wars series that we did uh, last... Well not well, we're in February now. God, this whole year's flying by already. Back in December, I talked about it on our uh, Disney Era Star Wars episode. I would like him to win. Do I think he's going to? Probably not. I think that Quentin Tarantino is going to get it for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I I, I just think that the story of classic Hollywood is something that the Academy is really going to love. I can honestly see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood really making a huge run uh, at the Oscars this year. So my prediction is that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood will win Best Original Screenplay, but I would like Knives Out to win. That being said, like all these other, I haven't seen Parasite yet, but the story, the screenplay for Marriage Story was great. Uh, 1917 was really good too, so um, yeah, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to take it. Next up, we have Best Adapted Screenplay. We have The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, and The Two Popes. Now, of these movies, I have not seen The Two Popes yet, so I can't really comment on it. I really, really want Jojo Rabbit. To win this because as good as a film of Jojo Rabbit was, and this is kind of giving away my best picture prediction, but I don't think it's going to win that award. I think the story of Jojo Rabbit was great. I, I love that movie. It was, you know, top top three movie for me this year. And I, I really would love Title Watiti. To get an Oscar because I think he's just such a good filmmaker. I think he's a good actor. I think he has the pulse of what a lot of people like. There's rumors that he's going to get his own Star Wars film and I really hope that happens because he was great as the voice um, of IG-11 and I think you know him directing the season finale of The Mandalorian and it's arguably the best episode of that entire season. It's going to be, I really hope it happens because he absolutely deserves it. I'm actually going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to predict that Jojo Rabbit will get best adapted screenplay, though I wouldn't be shocked if the Irishman gets it. Next up, we have best animated feature, how to train your dragon, the hidden world. I lost my body, Klaus, missing link and Toy Story 4. I'm going to say flat out, I would like Toy Story 4 to win it. I remember being a huge detractor of this movie even being made because I thought the third one ended in such a perfect way. To me, Toy Story 1 through 3 is really close to a perfect trilogy. You know, and the way it ended with Andy giving, you know, Woody, Buzz, and the other kids away and driving, you know, Driving off in the distance and Woody saying so long, partner, was to me the perfect way to end that story. And then they announced they're doing a fourth one. So I'm like, here we go again, overexposing the series and trying to just make extra money off of it. But Toy Story 4 was actually an awesome movie. And it was, it just missed my top 10 of this year. But I, I really hope that Toy Story 4 takes this one. Uh, Best Director, we have Martin Scorsese for The Irishman, Todd Phillips for Joker, Sam Mendez for 1917, Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then we have Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. Now, I did really like Joker, but I don't know... I feel like, even though I haven't seen Little Women, I'm shocked that Greta Gerwig was not nominated for this award. I honestly, I probably would have put her in over Todd Phillips, but that's just one guy's opinion. I, I just, I, from what I've heard about Little Women, I've heard it's great, and I really, really need to see it. But that being said, I. I knocked Martin Scorsese for his dig at the MCU saying that it's not cinema because I, I don't think you should be, I don't think you should be very snobbish or really particular when it comes to what you would call cinema because to me it's such a broad art form that you can tell film and cinematic stories in so many different ways and not just the way that Martin Scorsese makes his films and he's made some great ones throughout the years, but I, I just don't think, I just don't think you can really knock the MCU for being what they are. And plus, I think the box office would argue that point differently. Uh, but that being said, I think Quentin Tarantino is going to get best director for once upon a time in Hollywood. Again, I think this is going to make a pretty good run. I wouldn't be surprised if this wins, you know, at least three awards, But, um, that's my, and honestly, I think Tarantino should like the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was next to Pulp Fiction, my favorite movie that Tarantino's done. So I I would give him the Oscar for it. that's who I think will win. And that's who I want to win is Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, best supporting actress. We have Kathy Bates from Richard Jewell, Laura Dern from Marriage Story, Scarlett Johansson from Jojo Rabbit, Florence Pugh from Little Women, and Margo Robbie from Bombshell. Uh, Tanya Richter says, you look very nice in a suit. Thank you. I actually, I showered for the occasion too, which is, uh, which is very rare. But um, out of this, I, a lot of people think that Laura Dern's going to take it, and I 100% agree. This was probably the most serious role I've seen her in. I haven't seen her in a lot of things. But she really blew me away in Marriage Story for playing a a cutthroat divorce attorney. It was something that I wasn't expecting from her. But her and the dynamic she had with Ray Liotta was an underrated highlight throughout this entire film. So I know she's kind of getting the popular choice for Best Supporting Actress. And Scarlett Johansson was phenomenal in Jojo Rabbit as well. But I I have to go with the popular choice on this one. I I would give it to Laura Dern because she really really blew me away with her performance in Marriage Story. Uh, So I think she's going to get it, and I hope that she does get it. Let's see. Best Supporting Actor, we have Tom Hanks from A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Anthony Hopkins from The Two Popes, Al Pacino from The Irishman, Joe Pesci from The Irishman and Brad Pitt from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Brad Pitt seems to be a popular name as far as who a lot of people think is going to win this award. I loved Joe Pesci and The Irishman. You know, I I know he's known primarily for his gangster roles, like Goodfellas. I personally know him from being one half of the Wet Bandits in Home Alone. But he seeing him acting again in this type of role was great. And to me, he was the highlight of that entire movie. De Niro and Pacino were, were really good too. But seeing Joe Pesci back in a serious gangster type of role was awesome. Who I hope wins. And my Aunt Leah uh, it, it actually took that from me. Well, not took it from me, but she agrees with me. I hope Tom Hanks gets it because he, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood was an okay movie. It wasn't the greatest that I've seen. I, part of me really wanted to put it on my top 10, but it, it just missed the cut along with Toy Story 4. Tom Hanks' performance really drives the movie, and hes it's crazy to think that he's not the main character, but every time he's on screen in that movie, you're paying attention, and it's almost scary how well he played Fred Rogers. I really hope he gets it, but again, I just have this feeling that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to go on a tear. And my prediction, even though I want Tom Hanks to win it, I think Brad Pitt will win. So my prediction is that Brad Pitt will win Best Supporting Actor for his role in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He was great in that movie, and I will say his style with the Hawaiian shirt and everything like that's probably going to be my style in about ten years. Let's see. Um, lead actress, we have Cynthia Erivo from *Harriet*, Scarlett Johansson from *Marriage Story*, Saoirse Ronan from *Little Women*, Charlie Theron from *Bombshell*, and Renee Zellweger from *Judy*. So. Unfortunately, the only movie out of this choice out of this list that I've seen is *Marriage Story*, and I loved both Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. I even made the joke that it was unfortunate that Black Widow and Kylo Ren's relationship didn't work out. Just for for giggles, I, I would give it to Saoirse um, Ronan from *Little Women*, just because I've heard good things about her performance. But I I want I want Scarlett Johansson to win it just because she and Adam Driver both really impressed me as, you know, an acting duo, just as actors in general, because to, and I'll go ahead and touch on this movie, but the raw emotion that it showed, it was uncomfortably real. Now, granted, I haven't, my parents are still together, so I, I didn't go through the whole, you know, Kid with divorced parents situation, but just from what I've heard of how marriages can end, it it was really really raw, and it was almost uncomfortable because you could see that type of thing actually happening. Like when the climax of the movie happens and it's the two of them, just spewing out this hatred for each other, it was insane. So I I'm actually I'm gonna call an audible. I'm gonna go with Scarlett Johansson to to win this. But really, I'm not going to complain if any of the others win, other than I'll just get my prediction wrong. So I'm going to go with Scarlett Johansson. All right, so we have two more left. We have uh, lead actor. We have Antonio Banderas from Pain and Glory. Leonardo DiCaprio from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Adam Driver from Marriage Story. Joaquin Phoenix from Joker. And Jonathan Price from The Two Popes. This has kind of been, well, not kind of, but it has been the hardest one for me to choose. And I say that because out of these movies I've seen, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Marriage Story, and Joker. Leo, Adam, and Joaquin, all three were absolutely phenomenal. And I would not complain if one of those three win. Like, if one of those three win, I would just be like, okay, I I, I can see that. But I really, for, for what it stands for, I would love Joaquin Phoenix to win this award. Because Joker, it's a movie that I don't know I'll ever watch again. But I'm glad that I did because it was so emotionally real and i say that in the sense that there's no there's no ray of hope and i'll use revenge of the sith you know star wars episode three as an example that's when the republic falls the empire rises palpatine takes over anakin skywalker becomes darth vader and you think that there's no real ray of hope but then you see at the end obi-wan gives baby luke to the lars family and we all know what's gonna happen. So it left on a hopeful note. This movie has zero hope in it at all. From the very beginning it is a very dark depressing movie and it only gets worse once Joaquin's Arthur Fleck character becomes the Joker and embraces that part of his personality. It's very depressing but it has some unbelievable acting in it. And just for the sheer dedication that he put himself through to pull that off, for that, I would give him the award for leading actor. If it's not him, then I hope Adam Driver gets it again for just the sheer raw emotion that he portrayed during the climax of that movie. So I'm gonna go with Joaquin Phoenix as my prediction and who I want to win. lead actor and then to end things we have best picture we have the nominees are ford v ferrari the irishman jojo rabbit joker little women marriage story 1917 once upon a time in hollywood and parasite a lot of really good choices on this list And luckily I have seen most of them. So I really enjoyed 1917. It was a visual masterpiece. I liked the story. I love that it was just an intimate setting in this grand, you know, huge war that was going on. It was a big story, but it felt very small. Marriage story was very real. Joker was very dark Ford V Ferrari was just a fun movie with some phenomenal acting from both Matt Damon and Christian Bale the Irishman I, I my knock on it is that it's a little too long but I love the acting in it I want Jojo Rabbit to win this award and I say that because to me it was the overall package of what a great film is it looks great it's got a story that is like satire but has a great lesson at its core the acting specifically by the child actors was phenomenal I I was really blown away with how well the young actors did and you had That balanced with a great supporting cast from Scarlett Johansson, Sam Rockwell, Taita Watiti was hilarious as a satirical version of Adolf Hitler. He's essentially, for those who haven't seen the movie, it's about this kid named Jojo who's growing up in Germany during World War II. But the twist is he's a die-hard Nazi supporter. And I've actually got quite a few comments here. Uh, let's see. Uh, Tanya says Brad for taking off his shirt, not for acting. Uh, Holly Rawls, if Joaquin doesn't win it, I'm boycotting it. Tanya says Joaquin 100%. Uh, let's see. Holly also says, I'm predicting Joaquin does win because he's already won the Golden Globe and SAG Award for it. Jake says, I wasn't crazy about Joker, honestly. It wasn't bad. I just don't get the hype. I totally get that. And, like I said earlier, it's to me a good movie, but it's one that I'm not going to go out of my way to really watch again. I appreciate its achievements for what it's done, and I think it showed that comic book movies can be told in a different light. And, Jake, if you're still watching this, I would love a Mr. Freeze type of movie, like an origin story told in the style of Joker, but dedicated to Mr. Freeze. Like, to me, that would be just amazing. If you were to adapt the Heart of Ice storyline from the animated series, day one, like you can just go ahead and take my money right now if that happens. But back to what I was saying about Jojo Rabbit. It's satirical in the sense that there's this, I think he's 10 years old, and he grows up in Germany idolizing the Nazis and Adolf Hitler. So it's, Taita Waititi is playing his interpretation of Adolf Hitler. And it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. But is, to me, it's just an overall great film. Like, it hits all the beats for what a great film should be. It's great acting, good story, great cinematography. It has everything. And I, that And To me, that's why it should win Best Picture, because out of the list of nominees, and yet I didn't list it as my favorite movie of 2019, but If you were to tell me that you think it's the best movie of the year, I wouldn't argue it whatsoever. But that being said, I don't think it's going to win Best Picture. What I think is going to win is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. If I, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe a Tarantino film has won Best Picture at the Oscars. So, with with Tarantino saying he's only going to make two films and this, 10 total films, and this was his ninth. I think with this, they're going to give him his Oscar. And that also in the sense that Hollywood loves them some Hollywood. This is about 1960s Hollywood, and it's a great movie. It's just about an hour too long. And I'm saying that, and this was my second favorite movie of the entire year. But the story was absolutely fantastic. The acting is really good. The set design, the location looks like all of it was just absolutely amazing. And I think for that reason, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to get best picture. I hope I'm wrong. I really want Jojo Rabbit to take it, but who knows? I know some people think Joker should win Best Picture. I personally don't see that. I get it being nominated, and it's crazy because Joker has been nominated for eleven awards. Eleven awards—that's insane. For a, a, a movie based on a comic book, who, who knows? But I, I, I just I don't I don't see that happening. Like just for me, these other movies I just can't see them winning Best Picture. I think it's got to come down to Jojo Rabbit and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to take it. So that's really my predictions for um, for the um, the 92nd Academy Awards. Uh, if you guys want to throw in any quick predictions that you guys might have, I'll stay on for, um, for just a few more minutes. I know we're, we're around the uh 34 minute mark and i don't want to stay on too terribly late i had to wake up early this morning for um, a leadership training that i had to go to let's see uh tanya richter i hated once upon a time and hope it does not win i know i am one of not many yeah i mean i i'm with you in the well i'm not with you in the sense that i hated it because i actually really liked it but Jojo Rabbit, and I will say, if you haven't seen Jojo Rabbit, definitely watch it, because it's one of the best movies of the entire year. One of the best movies of the entire year. Uh, I'll go through some of these others real quick. Um, Visual effects, um, I hope, just to throw it a bone, I hope that Avengers Endgame takes it. I'm kind of disappointed that Marvel didn't at least try to get... Nominated for—I mean, I don't know if they did or not—but I want to say they didn't. It should have been at least in the consideration for Best Picture because, for one, it's a great movie, and two, just the what Endgame stands for—the fact that they told this huge, this huge story that spanned over 20 movies. They took the TV episodic formula of storytelling. And transferred it to movies and it worked some are some of the movies better than others absolutely but just for the the achievement you know I I would have at least I would have at least nominated it but we we all know how that goes um, let's see costume design is let's see Irishman Jojo Rabbit Joker a little women and once upon a time in Hollywood um, I don't know I, I From what I've seen of the trailer. I, I like the costumes from Little Women So I'll, I'll I'll throw Little Women in there for for my prediction um, Film editing we have Ford v Ferrari Irishman Jojo Rabbit Joker and Parasite I would give it to Jojo Rabbit just because to me the way that movie was put together was nearly flawless How 1917 is not in there? I have no idea. But yeah, those are, those are just some. And Tanya says, as always, perfect podcast. Thank you for watching. Yeah, thank you. I think we had close to 10 people watching tonight. I don't know if I'm going to be doing a live show next week. I'm honestly not sure what I'm going to be doing for the review portion. I had talked about doing a Oscars reaction show. I might still do that. I'm actually going to be going to Daytona this weekend. So I should be back sometime Sunday night. So... If I'm not back too terribly late, I'll do a reaction show. If not, I'll figure out uh, I'll figure out something to do. Brandon Purdue just getting here, not home at the moment, so I will have to go back and catch what I missed. Yeah, definitely do that. And um, yeah, anybody who wants to go back, I mean, the the original video is it'll always be stored on Facebook, and then you know I'll, I'll clean it up a little bit and then throw it on uh, on YouTube. And the audio version will be. On uh, as you can see on the graphic on the side, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, now available on Google Podcast as of this past weekend. So a little bit more exposure for the show. And as always, you know, I, I'm always open to feedback. So if you guys have ideas for shows that you know you would like me to do, I'll be more than happy to do that. I'm really enjoying doing these live shows, you know now almost every week because a- as I mentioned, uh, last week. Doing these by myself is not very easy. And you know, I've stumbled over my words a couple of times, but that's just the nature of live podcasting. You know, you're know, you going to stumble over your words. You might stammer or something like that. Uh, my mom says great podcast and congratulations on your award today. Yeah. So I, I was at leadership training today and I won a um, bright spot award from the Studer family of companies. And that's essentially when your supervisor will write into our owner recognizing, you know, an employee of theirs for doing, you know, work that goes above and beyond uh, what they're supposed to do. So it was really cool to get that award. And um, the reception I got as a result of it was, was really humbling. So it it was, it was a really cool thing. But back to what I was saying earlier, if you guys have ideas for shows that you would like to see me do, because I enjoy doing the live podcast because it's a new challenge for me and video, I think is something that was a little overdue. You would think with video being my background, I would have done this years ago, but I liked the, I don't want to say simplicity of doing uh, just audio only shows, but in a way it was a bit easier. But back, you know, a couple of years ago when I decided to change the format of the podcast, that was a new challenge for me. The same thing with doing these live shows and doing video. It's a new avenue. It's a new challenge for me to do. And going back and even watching the live show I did a couple of weeks ago, you know, I barely looked at the camera. I was too busy just kind of looking around like I'm doing at the at this moment. So it's just, you know, it's an evolving thing. You know, I don't want to be doing the exact same thing all the time, so that that's what this this video stuff is for. And it's you know something that I'm going to be tweaking. Um, I'm actually I've got a little bit of a new audio set up, so I'm interested to hear how it sounds because I'm using my mixer instead of my USB microphone. Oh, Mr. Adam Waldron has joined. Hi. Adam, before I close out my show, um, if you want to throw out some quick Oscar predictions, I'll stay on for a couple of more minutes. Uh, but just to give you guys a heads up on some things that are coming up uh, over the next couple of weeks. As I said, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to be doing next week. If I'm back home in time, I'll be doing a, um, an Oscars reaction show. If not, I'll, be, I'll figure something else out. I might review... The new Harley Quinn movie that's coming out. Because, I, I, yeah, I think that comes out this week. Then the following week, I'm actually going to be doing a Power Rangers roundtable that will coincide with an interview I did with Catherine Sutherland, who was the second Pink Power Ranger. I think she came in during Season 3 of Power Rangers. And she's also going to be a Pensacon guest as well. And uh, that's really kind of it as far as the immediate stuff goes. Uh, let's see, um, uh, Brandon Purdue. I like the live interaction, but in the past, I have listened to the podcast while driving. Well, you can still do that. You know that this is going to still be on the audio version that comes out on Thursdays. Adam wants to do a live review of 911 Lone Star. I might actually, um, yeah. Adam says 1917. I hope 1917 wins something if it does not win best cinematography, then there's clearly a problem because to me, that movie was just, and I mentioned it earlier is in a league all on its own as far as cinematography goes. Ford V Ferrari was underrated. Absolutely. I would absolutely agree with that. You know, is to me, that was another good overall movie. It had the feel of a big budget Hollywood film but it had the little nuances like the good acting and, you know, the fact that it was inspired by true events was, was a really cool thing. And I had no idea that, you know, that was even the case. Um, but yeah, that actually, I will, I will think about that. We'll just have to talk Trincalli into doing it. We should do a watch along. For those who haven't seen it, Watch the commercials for 911 Lone Star. That might actually be something that I do uh, at some point for the podcast. Uh, let's see. My aunt Leah says agree, underrated. Yeah, I want to watch that movie again. You know, because I only saw it the one time when Adam and I saw it in theaters. So I, I really need to to watch it again. I really need to watch Parasite. I need to watch Little Women. I I, I need to try and watch Parasite sometime this week i really should i feel bad because i meant to watch it during the break Uh, heather only saw jumanji jumanji was a fun movie you know with jumanji with movies like that you have to look at them for what they are because some people will will bash them but i i love jumanji uh but yeah i think that's going to be where uh oh so she says jumanji yeah jumanji should just win all the awards I'll, you know what, I'm just going to change my entire ballot and write Jumanji in for everything. But yeah, I think that's where I'm going to close out the podcast. Um, For those who are listening or watching live, thank you guys for tuning in. For those who are listening on the download, stay tuned for my interview with artist Christopher Burdett, who will also be appearing at Pensacon later on this month. Uh, if you want to follow me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at D Diamond Podcast. And since Adam's watching, I'll definitely be sure to give him a shout-out for this. Thank you to the Unicorn Wranglers for supr- for supplying the theme music for the podcast each and every week. You can find them on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify, I believe, to check out their last couple of albums that they've done. So, for those watching live... Thank you, guys, and we'll see you next time. Happy to be joined with my special guest this week, artist Christopher Burdett. Christopher, how are you tonight?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you.
0: Good, good. Thank you so much for taking the time to to join me. I know as we're recording this, we're just over a month away from Pensacon, which it, it seems like... You know, on one hand, it seems like it takes forever to get here, but then next thing you know, it's it's here. And I think it's because it's like a month or so after the holidays, and everybody's so wrapped up with Christmas and Thanksgiving and whatnot that by the time the New Year rolls around, you're like, oh crap, Pensacon's in like three weeks.
1: Yeah, (laughs) and uh, to make things more crazy, uh, I have a Kickstarter starting the Saturday of Pensacon.
0: (laughs) Oh, perfect. Perfect. Well, so uh, yeah, explain to everybody what your, what your Kickstarter is about.
1: Uh, the Kickstarter is a, a book. It's actually three different books. Uh, but the main book is uh, centered around a giant bazaar on a planet that I began creating about uh, 21, 22 years ago. And uh, I've been kind of playing with some of these characters for 20 years. And I finally, over the last five years, kind of put everything together and it's a uh, the book's a combination, a collection of uh, research documents and correspondence and stories and letters, and it's all gathered by this one character in the story to kind of tell the story of the of this grand bazaar, and there's different points of view, and some of them contradict each other, and some of them are just random wild stories, and some of them are, you know, scientific documentations about the things in the bazaar, and uh, the other two books that are going to go along with it in the Kickstarter are a coloring book of all of the uh, line art versions of my finished finished art from the book, and then there's going to be a Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition uh, statistics book for all of uh, the creatures that I've created, so you can actually take the bizarre into your D&D game.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's been
1: a it's been a fun crazy time. It's kind of weird that it's finally here after. Uh, over two decades.
0: Well, I can imagine working on a project that long and seeing it, you know, now finally becoming a reality has got to be a a gratifying feeling.
1: Yeah. And it also has prompted me to go ahead and start on the rest of the books. I've already started on the next two books in the series.
0: Yeah. Very cool. So kind of backtracking a little bit, how was it, well, for one, where did you grow up? And then what was it that inspired you to want to get into the crazy world of art?
1: Uh, well, I'm uh, from the Tampa Bay area uh, in Florida. I grew up in Seminole, Florida. And uh, at a very, very, very early age, I went to a movie uh, with my parents. It was called Star Wars. As some of you may have heard of it. And it, yeah, it kind of just blew my mind. I was three years old seeing the original Star Wars in the theater. And that kind of, at that moment, when I watched the movie, it was like, I want to do that. Whatever that is, I want to I make that. And then uh, several years after that, uh, I became aware of the Dungeons & Dragons Monster Manual, the original one, and there was just a book of monsters and stories about them and information. And it, it, I never looked back. It was like with, with Dungeons & Dragons in one hand and Star Wars in the other, I just kind of went forward and started making monsters. And I've spent my life just designing and making monsters.
0: I can imagine the cantina scene had to be almost like a goldmine for you, just with all the cool characters and everything that you see when you know Luke yeah. and and Obi Wan walk in. That that's that's great.
1: You know, it, 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 that scene's been talked about as it was like a game changer in cinema. Like you know, nothing like that had been really done, and you know, all these crazy monsters and all these aliens. And but for me. I didn't know any different, so I saw that, and I just assumed that's what things are like. Mm
0: -hmm. Rooms
1: full of crazy monsters and aliens, and I want to know about all of them.
0: I can imagine so. no, I remember, you know, I, I was born after the original trilogy came out, but I still remember clear as day watching Star Wars for the first time when I was five or six years old and just falling in love with it, and that's one of the big reasons, you know, why I wanted to become a filmmaker. Was was Star Wars, and much like you, it's like whatever that is, I want to do it because it just looks so amazing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you decided that was what you wanted to do, how did you? Because I know you went to um, Florida State University. Yes. Where was the turning point that got you into the? Because I know you started your career working in film and television. How did you get your foot in the door with that?
1: Um. Well, you know you know, growing up when I did, you know, like when I went to school, the internet was just kind of getting its feet under it. You know, I, I, went to, uh, started college in, uh, 92 and I ended, I finished at 99. So it was a long, nice seven years of college. Um, but you know, I didn't really know what my options were, you know, in my head, there's like, there's comic books and I learned pretty quickly of there of that era that I don't like to draw the same thing more than once. So sequential art was out the door. I just, I just did not what I do. And then I assumed like video games. So it was like video games and comic books were my only art options. And I just, you know, I, the idea of working in the movies and games was just uh, movies and, uh, tabletop gaming just wasn't an option for me. And I went to FSU because I just assumed I needed to get the piece of paper and to get, you know, the, I accomplished the task. So, uh, while I was getting my BFA, uh, one summer, a low-budget vampire movie was being shot here in Tallahassee, and I walked into the computer lab, and there was a sign on on the bulletin board. It's like, you know, come work on this movie, and you know, special effects artists from Hollywood are coming to work on this low-budget vampire movie because the the writer and director of the movie used to work out in L.A. and he gave up. Los Angeles life and he came to Tallahassee to teach and he was a teacher and he fell in love with Tallahassee and he was like I gotta make a vampire movie so he uh, contacted Roger Corman who he had done other movies with and got a budget and then he contacted uh, the uh, an effects shop that he had done effects with and I walked into the computer lab and saw this sign and I thought to myself that's exactly what I need to be doing so I took the sign and I went home and I started making phone calls. And within like a day, I was on the phone with a makeup effects uh, shop owner in Los Angeles, uh, kind of like throwing my hat in the ring, going like, I want whatever you're doing here in in Tallahassee, I need to be doing it too with you. I want, you know, you, I'll do it 24, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whatever you need, I'm there. And I kind of just threw myself into it and learned everything that I could and showed him what I was doing in school because I was doing a lot of puppetry and building a lot of puppets and weird monster masks, and I was just making weird things and doing a lot of illustration and just kind of trying to find my way in the fine arts department making monsters. Not, you know, I wasn't getting a lot of support from the faculty, but I was, you know, doing my thing, and he got it. The guy I worked with on the movie kind of just opened my eyes to the possibilities and taught me about materials and techniques and just how to do a lot more with a lot less and just kind of start making the things that I want to see. And I spent that summer working, uh, working all night long uh, on a movie set and then getting up and going to class in the morning and the afternoons. So it was a, it was a crazy a crazy summer. And by the end of the summer, I had kind of cemented my role. And once I, you know, my options for when I finally graduated school later that year, I could go out to LA and start working with him out there. And which is what I did. So (laughs) I I didn't even uh, walk in graduation. I I had my exit show with the art department. And once that was done, that was technically the conclusion of my uh, time at FSU. So I immediately packed up and moved to L.A. right after my exit show.
0: I think it says something because, you know, a lot of people have a little bit of a misconception of trying to get your foot in the door with something like that. And you saying that you were still going to class and then you were working on, you know, your outside project and sometimes even doing it, you know, all night virtually. That's what you have to do to really get your foot in the door is – those who work their nine to five job or if they have class, they spend so much more of their extra time, you know, doing the extra legwork to try and get their foot in the door of what they want to do. And I, I think what you just said is a prime example of that. That's great.
1: Yeah. And I also, in my early days in LA, I spent a lot of time not getting paid and we working for very little money, just trying to <laughs> make the best of the situation because, you know, people think there's big money in film and TV. And while there is, for some, for other projects, there's not. So it was kind of hand to mouth for a while there, or a lot of well, a lot of my time in L.A.
0: Yeah, a lot of it's a labor of love.
1: Unfortunately.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, kind of walk me through the process of what you did during your time working in film and TV, because I know you've worked on shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Firefly, doing yeah. you know makeup and, and creature effects what is the process that you would go through in order to create something and bring it to life?
1: Uh, well, the thing is to remember that it's always a team effort. There's always anywhere between eight and 30 guys and women in the shop working together to do anything like this. Um, and we all kind of like bounced around, but I had some pretty set duties and jobs that I was better at and that I like to do. Um, so typically we would receive a uh, – well, the boss would receive a script from the week's episode of Angel or Buffy or Firefly, and they would go to meetings where they break down the episode and they talk about what they need, well, You know what effects are going to be needed, what creatures need to be created, and kind of like what needs to happen to make this episode. And then there's about a two-week gap where – we do all the concept work and we kind of figure out what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and then we do it. So within, yeah, for for around, for about 10 days, we would go from just receiving the script to going to set with finished stuff. And I would I would be on the design team, so we would sometimes literally have an hour to completely design the brand new monster of the week for a show and sometimes there would be notes of like it needs to be orange with white eyes and horns and we would be like okay well i guess that's something we're going to be doing and other times it's just like we just need a monster just just something just a demon um and you know concept stuff would happen in an hour or a day or two and then the sculptors would get on it and i was not a sculptor and they they would get several days and then the mold makers would work on it, and I was also, I was a horrible mold maker. Uh, <laughs> and once they had all the molds built, um, they would run the foam or the silicone, and then it would be back in my hands where you uh, – like if it's a foam latex mask or appliance or anything, that there's always going to be seams and edges, and you have to get rid of the seams and make sure that all the edges are nice and smooth so that when it's being applied – Looks like, and it you know looks like a real monster. And you don't see a line going down the middle of the face where the t- where the mold went together. Uh, and also, I was a I was a painter, so I did a lot of painting of the appliances, of the suits, of the stuff. If if there was something to be painted, I probably painted it. And for like Buffy, at the end of Buffy, with all of the uber vamps in the backgrounds, all the masks and the makeups, I was tr- painted. Dozens upon dozens upon dozens of them. I have photos of with me in front of this whole huge rack of all these masks and makeups and stuff. And for like on Angel, where there was I think it was season four, there was the the beast, which was the big rocky devil creature. And I had to paint so many uh suits and makeups for that. Cause I would because I also went to set a lot I was on set I would wrangle the the usually the stunt guy or the the actor in the suit and we could only touch the actors from the neck down because union makeup artists uh, had to touch them from the neck up so we would they would be there to get the makeup on that I I painted and they would put the makeup on the actor and then we would have to get them in the suit and get the gloves on them and get the boots on them and get everything done and Sometimes depending on the makeup guy, he would be he would he would want to try to blend the the, the cowl of the headpiece into the suit and sometimes they would just let us do it because they, they they didn't care they didn't want to do the work yeah so I would I would I would always be at the beginning of the monster and I would be with them at the end of the monster and yeah there would be crazy times where especially on angel we would I would get up at around 4 a.m to get everything together, to get it to set so that all of that day's makeup stuff was ready to go for the makeup department at like five or six. And then I would be on set with them all day long to like midnight, 1 a.m., then go back to the shop and paint the next day's stuff and then go to bed and then get back up at like four or five and repeat. And it was, you, you know, that would go on for weeks. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely uh, something something to be done in my youth. <laughs> <laughs> I would not I would not be doing that now.
0: Well, and that's what I've heard from people who have worked in both film and TV is that television just moves at, at such a quick pace, and it's insane to think that you know you, as well as you know other team members, would essentially create something from scratch at times in such a short time frame.
1: Oh yeah, we we. <laughs> We had uh, both the actor and the stuntman uh, that was playing the beast uh, one day, literally one shooting morning. They both tore apart their suits back to back right before lunch. And we basically spent our lunch break fixing giant tears that went right through the entire suits.
0: Oh, geez. So there was
1: three three of us had about an hour, maybe an hour and a half to completely, basically do the impossible, which we did somehow, a lot of glue and a lot of foam and, uh, kind of just made it work and got the, got the suits back on the guys. And of course we, you know, it was basically a, just a, a temporary fix. We had to do a lot of repair back at the shop later, basically just sew everything back together. That's because there's, there's a spandex suit generally underneath all of the foam latex. So, yeah. Right. We had a, someone had to do some heavy duty sewing to get it all back together. But they 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 both tore their they tore like completely almost one arm off doing a big swinging punch. They both did the same maneuver and they both tore their suits in the same way. But you know,
0: what are the odds of that? <laughs> Fun times, yeah.
1: And it was it was literally it was like the it was the first shooting day after the Christmas break one year, and it was pouring that day you know never rains in LA but that day it was pouring down rain so it was just it was miserable it was a miserable day um luckily some of the some of the makeup team and uh some of the other PAs on on production grabbed us lunch and basically put it aside for us so that when the chaos was over and everyone was back on set and everyone was you know filming again they they brought us out some lunch and said you guys just sit here and chill. We're, we'll, we, we got it. We'll, we'll cover you on set for about an hour.
0: That's so, good. You know,
1: there, there, was some, yeah, there was some good camaraderie there, but it's, you know, it's, we always, we always joke that there's about 50 jobs in LA and about, you know, 50,000 people that want them. No, it's and true. It feels like that sometimes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and that lunch example is just a prime example of the camaraderie among you know, film sets, whether it's, you know, a small short or a big budget, it's, you know, you, when you work with people for so many hours, even if it's for just a couple of days, you bond and almost become like a family in a way and and, and hopefully look after each other and look after each other's best interests. So the fact that someone went and grabbed you guys lunch is, is a good testament to that.
1: Being on set was some of the, the my most fun times and fun memories of when I was out in L.A. because it was just you know, sitting at the shop making stuffs neat and fun, and you know, and that's what my skill set is. You know, you know, we were, you could actually see the stuff come to life and all of the design work and the artistry and the skill and technique that went into making it. But being on set, you saw, the, you know, the people talk about the magic. It's the magic of television and the movies, and you, you know, you you see what a set looks like with your eyes, but then you look at it through the camera or on TV and it somehow magically transforms and it's just it was really fun and exciting and that, that's the one thing I do miss is kind of just being on set with a big team of people making something together that somehow transcends all of your efforts and becomes something more and also craft service was amazing luckily I everything that I ever worked on had amazing food
0: <laughs> a good food is key on a film set. Oh yeah. A fed it's crew is a happy morale. crew.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, nothing, nothing helps with morale, like being fed and having access to food. if So no one gets cranky. Oh, but, absolutely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you don't want a bunch of hangry PAs or, you know, cinematographers or anything like that for sure. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> the, the, the chef on, uh, on angel made the best breakfast burritos I've ever eaten. Oh,
0: uh, that's, that's good. So, that's that's good yeah, quality I, I w- stuff. I
1: would be there. Yeah, I would be there at five or six in the morning, and I would I'd would have to get there, and then I would have like hours before I had to do anything. It's like I had to be there to get the stuff to the makeup artist, but then I, you know I can't leave because it it L A traffic. By the time I if I left, I would just have to immediately turn around and drive back because of traffic. So I just so I would I would be there on set, and you know sometimes you try to nap in the in the makeup trailer, but, uh, you know, most of the times he's like, you're there first and the chef's setting up and you're like breakfast burrito. And he's like, I got you. And it, it was amazing.
0: <laughs> now I want a breakfast burrito. <laughs> oh yeah. And
1: it was just, you know, it's just being, uh, you know, it's always sometimes it's just, you know, food tastes better on vacation and stuff. And it was kind of one of those things where, you know, if I probably had it now, right now, it probably wouldn't be as good, but you know, it's the context.
0: Oh Yeah. Absolutely. So what was it that made you want to transition out of working in L.A. to doing what you do now? Being an illustrator, I know you do a lot of stuff for tabletop gaming. So what was it that made you want to transition out of working in Los Angeles to doing what you currently do?
1: Uh, Working in Los Angeles made me want to transition out of working in Los Angeles. (laughs) That's very fair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, L.A. is great. Great. I have a lot of friends out there still I have, I have some good memories, but I also have really bad memories and it's LA's expensive and it's going at about a thousand miles an hour all the time and traffic's horrible. And I did not like the, the aspect of my job where it's like, you just never know when you're going to work next. And it's like when a show ends, you're unemployed and even like the big shops, you, you know, if, if the, If the, when the movie's over, your job's over and maybe they'll have another job starting immediately or it's overlapping that begins before the other one ends, or it's going to happen in a week or two. But, you know, just kind of being unemployed randomly, just kind of got old after a while and it just didn't really help with my creativity. And, you know, when you're always worried about where, where the next job's going to come or where the, uh. Next, how you're going to buy your next meal? It just kind of takes the takes the fun out of stuff. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just I, I looked at a lot of different options, and there was you know some stable art positions back in Florida that came to my attention, and just you know it just it was a was a more approachable lifestyle. And but I had already started making contacts with Wizards of the Coast and, the, and people in the gaming industry and kind of, like, starting to feel my way into that into that industry and kind of, like, seeing what they're doing. Because, like I said earlier, it's like I didn't even think that they existed. For, even though I played Dungeons & Dragons for years, I played Magic the Gathering for years, I loved games. The I, For some reason, there was a disconnect between me and the art. I always assumed, like a lot of other places, that people worked in for the company and you know making the art i didn't realize that there were so many freelance artists well they're all freelance artists now the days of teams of artists working at tsr long gone and i just realized that i could literally be anywhere in the world and start doing monster design and concept work and illustration for these games really kind of like changed my idea on like where i needed to live or where i could live and uh you know, my uh, my wife really wanted to go to nursing school, and that wasn't really going to happen in L.A., and we wanted to buy a house, and that wasn't happening in L.A., and coming back to Florida made a lot of sense for a lot of reasons, and we we're close to family in, uh, in Florida, and it just kind of, things really began to change once we moved back to Florida, because I, almost immediately, once I, we got settled, I started working, uh, designing miniatures for Wizards of the Coast. It was a handful of months. It was really kind of like it all just kind of happened. And then I left LA, the next door opened and I haven't looked back and it just kind of has been going from there.
0: That's awesome. No. And it's uh you pointing out not having to be in one specific place to do work. I mean, that's the benefit of technology today is that you can design something for someone and just send it to them whether it's through Dropbox, Google Drive. If you're doing, you know, like, you know, digital art, it, it's really cool and it, it makes it much more convenient if there's somewhere specific you want to live.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, and you can you can you can work you can live somewhere really cheap and and do really cool work. And you don't have to work in the you know, you don't have to be in New York, you don't have to be in Chicago or Miami or LA to work on big projects. You can you things to the internet we can just work anywhere.
0: Oh for sure. Uh, as we start to wrap up here, I did of course, you know we mentioned Pensacon at the uh, at the beginning of the show, but um, I know you've been in Pensacon before, so uh why don't you want you to talk with everyone about how you've enjoyed Pensacon and your upcoming appearance at it
1: uh, uh Pensacon is is one of our favorite events every year. Uh, my wife comes to all of my conventions with me, and Pensacon is a uniquely special convention uh, I, I really, I can't say enough good things. I mean, I've done, I've done San Diego Comic-Con. I do Gen Con every year. Uh, there's some smaller art events I do. We, we, we love these events, but Con is really, really special. It's, it's amazing how big it is uh, of a show for the size of the show. It is. It's like, a, it's a gigantic, small convention. And uh, it's just, yeah, I mean, I really have a lot of fun. It's like going there and being, uh, you know, selling my artwork and stuff seems secondary to just the fun that I have at, at Pensacon because uh, we've we've like told all of our friends about uh, Pensacon. So I, I have friends that are vendors at different conventions, and they're now vendors at Pensacon. And I've had other friends that are artists that have come in as guest artists, and we've we've met uh, a ton of uh, regional artists that we didn't even know we're around there was an artist in Tallahassee here that I didn't even know existed but I met him at Pensacon and it's just kind of it's funny that way so it's like it's it's friends and family convention for me and I just it's great to be able to like hang out with celebrities because they're just hanging out with everyone too you know there's it yeah I mean I I really can't say enough good things about Pensacon and I I'm gonna be uh, bringing all of my usual stuff, my usual art that I have for all the games that I've worked on. So all my Star Wars games and Dungeons and Dragons and uh, Magic Gathering, I'm going to have prints and art and uh, play mats and mouse pads and all kinds of stuff. And I'm going to be doing a big sale at Pensacola because with my book coming out uh, later this year, I'm going to be moving away from doing a lot of client work. So I'm going to still do some, but I'm really going to be focusing on my book and my books and that's that artwork. So I'm going to be kind of making, making some deals on the stuff that I have to kind of hoping, to, hoping that it can send a lot of it home with me with other people, uh, uh, at Pensacon.
0: And I echo everything you said 100% about PensaCon. Yeah. You know, I'm born and raised in Pensacola and seeing how it started, like the initial concept of it to what it is now, is is really cool and it, it's a true highlight and kind of like what you mentioned it's almost like a family reunion in a way because I there are people that I don't see any other time of the year but Pensacon and I know I'm always going to run into them so it, it's it's yeah. a it's a really cool event and it's also my understanding that you actually uh, were a judge for the short film festival uh, at one time.
1: uh it was. I I, I mean, it was either last year or the year before and I uh oh, Steve will kill me that I don't remember but <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah that I, I think it was 2 years ago I think it was 2 years ago and yeah that was great yeah that was really really fun actually no I was I was a judge the last 2 years I was a judge last year and the year before it just um our role this last year was not as involved because the year before we actually the judges made an appearance and we were we were there we you know went to the theater and stuff, but last year was it was done a little differently, so we we judged ahead of time, and uh yeah, we didn't actually have to make an appearance,
0: yeah, Steve's a good friend of mine, and I told him I was gonna interview you, and he's like, you gotta ask him about judging the short film festival <laughs> so-
1: oh it, it was a blast it was just it was just it's exciting to see this the the to see the the stuff that's being done, yeah, and there was yeah, it was it was good stuff. The the one one year there was a piece a uh, a film that really I was really moved by and I was I was really thrilled to have been able to see it and it 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 did win the judges award. And it was kind of one of those things where I don't think I would have ever have encountered it if I hadn't been a judge. It just it would have slipped under my radar. I never would have crossed paths with it and it was just uh, it was a really uh, moving piece for me and I really it kind of uh, meant a lot to me. And it was really kind of exciting to, to learn about this film and to then, you know, find them on Facebook and follow them and, you know, be able to see that they, they got a, they got some acknowledgement at Pensacon.
0: Yeah, the Steve's done a phenomenal job with the Pensacon Short Film Festival. And there have been some really, really good films that have come through it, you know, the last couple of years. And, it, it, and again, it goes back to the benefit of, you know, modern technology is you can... You can make a decent-looking movie with an iPhone, as long as you've got good audio. Yeah. You can definitely make it happen. And it's it's cool seeing you know people who maybe like twenty or thirty years ago, you wouldn't have been able to make something like people make today. So it's attending the film festival has been a, a highlight, you know, for the last couple of years. So it's it's really cool. Definitely, it's really cool. Uh, well, so in closing, I did want to ask you. Uh, I got a couple more things for you. What type of advice would sure. you give to someone who's either an aspiring artist or wants to do makeup effects uh, in the film and TV industry?
1: Well, the best advice I ever got, and that was when I was still in LA, and I was talking to an artist that I really admired, and I was showing him my portfolio, and he flipped. He would just flip into the pages, and whenever he he looked at a new piece. He'd kind of, he'd kind of wince in pain and groan. So he was just like, Ugh, mm, ah. and he just did this throughout my entire portfolio and he closed it and he looked at me and said, what do you want to do? And I started telling him about, you know, Oh, I want to be a digital painter. I want to do this, do that. And he's like, he's like, he like, he motioned for me to be quiet. He's like, draw more. And I'm like, what? And he's like, you need to draw more. I'm like, but what about the, he's like, draw more. You, you just need to draw more. And he just wouldn't let it go. Whenever I said anything or asked him, he's like, draw more, draw more, draw more. And it was kind of a stinging, inter- you know, interaction and a review. And I kind of was like, you know, I was very, try to be very professional very very uh, thankful for that, for that time. And I think, you know, and I walked away and I was just crushed. And then I just started thinking about it. I was like. I think I need to draw more. And that was the moment where I just basically, I started drawing more all the time, every day, no matter what I had paper with me, pencils, pens. And if I was not actively doing something, I was drawing and it changed everything. It really changed everything. That was the moment where I, I was, I was always drawing and working my entire life, but it's. I made that the priority of my waking life, and so when people ask me about what do you what do you do to be a better artist or what do you do to get to where you are, it's you draw more. You just have to keep working. It's making the effort, going through the motions because you have a lot of bad art in you that you have to get out, and it's not going to get out unless you draw. You work. You have to. You have to create the bad art to get to the good art. And that's, that's the advice I always give. Unfortunately, I've been away from LA in the makeup industry for a long time. And I have no idea how I I'd even, if I wanted to do that stuff again, where I would even start. Cause you know, I have, it's, it's all changed, you know, it's like, it's you know it's I I wouldn't probably even recognize the chemicals if I started to get back into stuff. It's like probably all the all the things I used to do because they were all probably horribly carcinogenic are all gone and there's all new stuff now. But but it just comes to be, art advice. It's always draw more.
0: No, that's that's phenomenal advice. And final question: Do you have any website, uh, social media, and uh, you can plug your Kickstarter too, so the listeners can follow you.
1: Well, uh, the best place to find me—it's—it's it's my full name, Christopher Burdett. Uh, it's .com or .blogspot. I mean, most of my activity is going on my blog right now. So you just go to go to my blog. It's christopherburdett .blogspot .com, and um, I'm going to be talking about my Kickstarter there. We're on the cusp of getting the landing page and all that taken care of. So you just got to keep an eye on my blog. Um, you can go to my website too, but that's just a selection of my artwork. A lot of all of all of my active stuff's happening either on my Facebook page, because I'm Christopher Burdett. You, there's several of us, but I should probably, be, it should stand out which one I am, because uh, my profile picture right now is the cover of my book. And uh, I have an artist page, too. It's Christopher Burdett, Christopher Burdett Monsters on Facebook. Uh, you, you get all the stuff there. But, you know, so either find me on Facebook or Instagram, same name, Christopher Burdett, or my blog and all of the information about everything that's going on is all there. And I'm going to have at at Pensacon. I'm going to have cards with all the information for the Kickstarter. And I'm going to, unless some horrific thing happens, I will actually have a copy of my finished book of with me at Pensacon because the book's done. Everything's done. I uh, that's I wanted to go into this Kickstarter. With everything completed, so we can immediately just go to the printing. I didn't want people waiting for me to finish anything, so uh, I'm going to be handing off the the, the book to uh, my guy, my printer, on the tenth, and it's going to get sent to China. And then two weeks later, I'll have the actual finished book back in my hand. It's a proof, uh, so I will. I should, you know, knock on wood, barring any unexpected calamity, I will actually have my book with me at Pensacon. So. That's what I'm really excited about that too, because I'll actually be able to show people the book and give them information for the Kickstarter.
0: Fantastic. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for (laughs) taking the time to do this interview and I look forward to meeting you at PensaCon.
1: Yeah, it should be great. Yeah. I'm always looking forward to Pensacon. Always love seeing everyone there because it's just it's so much fun. It's it's just a really fun time. Because a lot of conventions feel like work. And I'm just, it's just for me at Pensacon, it's super fun. I'm just hanging out, you know, (laughs) no stress.
0: (laughs) Thanks again to Christopher Burdett for coming on the show to have that really fun chat. Can't wait to meet him at Pensacon. And as it's been stated multiple times, Pensacon is happening February 28th through March 1st here in downtown Pensacola at the Pensacola Bay Center and several other surrounding venues. You can go to Pensacon.com to get tickets and find out more information about upcoming guests, panels, all that fun stuff. You can find everything at pensacon.com. And also, thank you to everyone who tuned in for the Facebook Live this past week when I gave my Oscars predictions. It was really fun. I've been really enjoying the live interaction with everyone. As I've said before, I'm not going to be able to do a live show every single week, but I am going to do them as often as I can. And I apologize again for the audio issues with that, but they will be fixed for upcoming episodes. For next week's show, for the review segment, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do yet. I'm either going to do an Oscars instant reaction show uh, if I'm back in town by Sunday evening. I'm going to be in Daytona this weekend with the Unicorn Wranglers, so I'm not exactly sure when we'll be back on Sunday. I know it'll be kind of late, so we'll have to see what happens. If not, I'll likely be reviewing the new Birds of Prey movie that's coming out this week. So you will have a review segment of some sort. And, of course, Pensacon Month continues here on the podcast. I'll be chatting with the co-writers of the film We Got a Monkey's Paw, which will be showcased at the Pensacon Short Film Festival. So uh, it was a really fun movie. I really enjoyed watching it and can't wait to talk with the writers to figure out how they came up with this really fun film. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, now available on Google Podcast as well as on YouTube, If you want to follow me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast, And I mentioned them earlier, but thank you as always to the Unicorn Wranglers for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can check out their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's show. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday.